God Almighty, we tell you we love you. We bring this place corner to corner, above and below, through and through under the blood of Jesus. Satan, the Lord rebukes you, wash you from everybody's mind, their ears, their eyes. You can't interfere here anymore. Be gone from this place. Come, Lord Holy Spirit, I bind a part of the enemy. You can't do nothing. We take all his freedom away, and we call, it, we call out, Lord, that your kingdom would come, your will be done, uh, your honor, your glory, your power in this place today as we seek to be taught by you. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been talking a little bit about, you know, how we develop uh, our understandings. And again, you know, how you read your Bible is important. Remember, when you read your Bible, be aware of the both ands, right? There's stuff that's both and. Uh, but there's also either word type stuff, right? Um, another way, as you read your Bible, uh, you want to look for the didactic and the narratives. And the didactic stuff is the teaching parts of the Bible. It's the theological components of your Bible that you find in the book of Romans. Paul is a big-time theologian. Uh, you know, the theological parts is Jesus teaches theology to his disciples in, uh, in the, uh, in the uh, Gospels. The didactic parts contain the teaching and the theology. But I've run into a lot of theologians uh, that don't know how to put theology into practice. So one of the other things you want to do is you want to keep your, your, your uh, awareness of the, the narrative portions of Scripture. That means the stories. So the book Acts, again, big time in, in the Gospels, all that kind of stuff. What happens with the didactic and the narrative? You know, if you only look at this kind of stuff, you can end up with theology that goes... That's, that's not applicable, or even wrong theology. Because, again, you, know, you, you, see all, you listen to these various teachers, and they'll take the same verse and they'll go this way, this way, this way, and this way with it. Because it's got all these different logical tracks you can go. But the application shows you the correct theology. So especially in an area where we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's important to read the book of Acts, it's important to read the Gospels to see what the application of that teaching looked like in the early church. You know, um, so anyway, you know, just keep that in mind. That's one of the things that I've done here. When I, when I built this teaching, or built this teaching, when I studied this, I, I went looking for the teaching parts, you know, the stuff that talks about our new identity in Christ versus the old identity. I want to know the theological underpinnings of that kind of stuff. You know, the stuff that talks about the power and the authority of Jesus and his name and that authority being given to those who believe. I want to know that stuff. But the application of it, man, you can see it being laid out in, in the scriptures. So, you know, somebody says, well, we don't rebuke the devil. Somebody actually, Melody came up and asked me, so why do you, you know, heard you say that I rebuke the devil? Uh, it's not me rebuking the devil. Sometimes I say, the Lord rebukes you. Sometimes I say, I rebuke you. But my, when, every time I say, I rebuke you, I'm just imitating Jesus, right? So Jesus is my model. And Jesus spoke out of his authority. So, you know, if you put that picture in your head of the RCMP officer who speaks in the name of the queen, when he stands at my, my window and says, I rebuke you, you know? It ain't him, it ain't Charlie Farkasen who's doing it, you know? Charlie Farkasen, anyone know Charlie Farkasen? Anyway, he was never an RCMP officer, but let's pretend. It ain't Charlie that's doing it. It's the queen speaking through Charlie. He's just using a personal pronoun that says, I rebuke you. I command you to stop this. I'm taking you to jail. But he's speaking. The queen is speaking through him. So once you get embedded enough, you know, in terms of your understanding of your identity, you know, when you say, I rebuke you, you'll know you're standing in the authority of God because stuff happens. If you're standing in your own authority, the devil will look at you like he did at the sons of Siva and go like, you, who are you? And he'll run over top of you with a, whatever he's using. He'll, he'll, he'll hurt you. So stand in the presence of Jesus. But be aware, you know, look at the teaching parts. But don't just look at the teaching parts. A lot of people, you know, I've heard too many people say, well, the stories don't teach you anything. Yeah, they do. They teach you the application. So, Okay. We need to humble ourselves in order to resist effectively. James equates humility with submission to God, and so we've already talked about all that kind of stuff. The key to resisting the devil effectively is ongoing submission coupled with active resistance. That means stay in the suit. Stay hidden in the presence of Christ. Don't step out from that place. 
I talked a little bit yesterday, and we're just going to blow through this because I sort of changed the flow of things yesterday. See, what I did was I rearranged the manual for this weekend, and anyway, so in my head, it still has a different flow, but I'm, I'm getting used to this. Yesterday, I drew the armor of God, and we talked about, you know, the helmet and the, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of the gospel of peace and the shield of faith and the sword of the Holy Spirit. All these things are the armor of God. These are some of the tools God has given you. When we talk about standing in Christ, what I used to do is I used to pray on that armor on a regular basis. Dear Jesus, I put on the belt of truth. And I put on the breastplate of, of uh, um, your righteousness. And I take my stand in the, you know, whatever. And I would pray it all on, but in my head I was putting on stuff. I was putting on things, these heavenly pieces of armor. And that's true, and that's what the image is that Paul presents. But look at this. Bottom of page 64. When we put on the armor, we're putting on Jesus. We are hiding ourselves in Christ. The belt of truth, what is it? It's Jesus. The righteous breastplate of righteousness, what is it? It's Jesus' righteousness. The gospel of peace, it's what Jesus did on the cross. The helmet of salvation, it's Jesus' mind is mine. I take every thought captive to him. The shield of faith, he shields me by his power through faith and the sword of the spirit, his word. Um, we are not invulnerable. Christ is invulnerable. When we put on the armor of God, we are putting on Christ. I, you know, I, I have a, a prayer, a uh, little prayer that we hand out. It's a very aggressive spiritual warfare prayer. Um, and it talks about praying on this armor. And I had a lady come to me one time and she says, you know what? I, I forgot last Tuesday to pray all of the armor on. I didn't do it right. I, I forgot my little prayer card at home and I didn't quite get it all prayed on. And I think the devil got a hold of me. And I'm going like, and she's living in real stress over this. I'm going, well, Why? Would the devil get a hold? Because I didn't pray it all on. It says the full armor of God. I said, you know what? The next time you leave your prayer card at home, I'm going to give you the short form of this prayer, okay? Listen real hard, because this is the short form. It goes like this. Dear Jesus, I'm under your blood. Amen. That, that'll work? Yeah, that'll work. Because the armor of God, remember, let's not get legalistic about this stuff. The armor of God is Christ. And when we deal with demonic things, we deal from the position we have hidden in Christ. And certainly, you know, as you stop and you pray through every piece of this armor, you get pretty deeply into what it means to be in Christ. But you know what? In a crisis situation, just say this, Jesus, I'm under your blood. You're going to be all right. All right? Paul's clear, you know, in his teaching. We don't receive freedom and suddenly become invulnerable to further attack. We, we have to have an active faith walk that includes active resistance to the enemy. So we put on the armor. Uh, I'm hidden in Christ. You know, a couple of passages about that. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. Walk in that. Colossians 3, 2 and 3. In him I abide. Jesus said, abide in me, which means to live in me. Take your residence in me. And I in you, as the vine cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in me, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Here I stand. Now, in Ephesians 6, 10 to 17, uh, that passage we've heard of so many times, if you look at there, I think this is the NIV version, or maybe it's the New American Standard version. I, I, I didn't put it down there. But it says four times to stand, so that you can take your stand. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And then it goes down a little bit. So that when that day comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. That is Jesus kicking a point home. He is saying, stand in me. Don't leave me. You know what? Sometimes people say, well, I better not go into that place because oh, there's lots of demons in that place. I might get jumped on. No. If they jump on you, you're going to be like Teflon and they're going to slide right off. Because if you're in Christ, you're going to be safe. And that's what your devotional time is so important for, for. Not so that you can do the recipes before God, but so that you can just sit in him under his presence and be surrendered to him and stand. And then just stay in him. And when the situations come against you, I don't know nothing. I don't know how to fix this situation, but I know who I belong to. Jesus, I'm under your blood. I just stand. 
That's how you learn to walk in Christ. Now, you got to understand that if you're going to put on this armor, you're going to go to a place. Like, you know, in the Roman era, they only gave armor to, they didn't give it to all their citizens, you know. They gave it to the warriors, right? In the Christian army, we're all warriors to some extent. That means we need the armor. That means you're going to be taken into places in your life where you need this. This is not an option. If you don't avail yourself of Christ, of standing in Christ, you will become a victim. Scripture says again in 1 John 4, it says, the whole, we know this, that the whole world is under the power of the enemy. And if you're not under the power of the Christ, you are going to be affected by the power of the enemy. So you want to stay in Christ. This is your little insulative bubble that keeps you safe. All right? So very important. So a practical moment. How can we stand? How can we take our stand? A lifestyle of repentance and abiding in Christ daily. Somebody said, well, what, why do I got to repent so often? Like, doesn't it take the first time? Well, yeah, it takes the first time. But I don't know, anyone here ever wander? Wanderers, here we are, right? I think there was a song written about me. Well, he's a wanderer. You know, anyway. We tend to wander, so we got to come back. The repentance is that resurrender. We live a lifestyle of it, not just a one-time event. Uh, and that's actually very interesting to, to, to talk about. When we talk about both and, this repentance thing is a both and. It's a one-time event, but it recurs. It goes on and on and on. What's a line? A line is a series of points where those events are repeated over and over again so close together that they become an ongoing progression. We don't just repent once. We live a lifestyle of surrender. That's what we're called to. We need to accept a perspective of living which looks at life and ministry as being rooted in the spiritual first instead of just being rooted in the flesh. That we are in, rooted in God, not just rooted in ourselves. You know, oftentimes, especially in a Western uh, culture, we don't see the spiritual as being the primary thing. We see it as something that touches us from out here. But you get into some of the other cultures and the spiritual is the ground that you stand in and everything comes out of that. That was the teaching, uh, the understanding of the, the, the uh, mindset of Paul and Jesus and, and the other apostles. We need an ever-deepening understanding of the role of the cross in dying to self. You know, faith is a lifestyle. It's an ongoing process of events. We need mentors, actively discipling of self and others in this kind of lifestyle. You know, Jesus said something. He said, um, and, he, and he referred back, I got to go look up my, my reference on this. I'm sort of like the, the writer of the Hebrews, right? Not that I'm that famous, but, but I, I like to say, just like the Hebrews guy said, somewhere it is written. <laughs> so you might have to look me up on this one. But uh, Jesus uh, indicated, uh, you know, as a pig goes back to its wallow, as a dog goes back to its vomit. You know, deliverance is not some kind of car wash that then you just go out and, oh, good, I got all that off me. Now I can go party and have my life. Jesus didn't come to do that kind of thing. Jesus is not a car wash. Jesus says, you can't follow me unless you lay down your life, you get done with the old life, and give your life to me, and let's go live the life I made you for. Not everybody's ready for that. You know, you get the pig out, you wash him off. You know, he's been rolling in the muck. You know what's in a pig, pigsty, eh? Anyone ever? My cousin used to raise pigs, and we would try to ride them, and the challenge was not to land in the wrong place when you got thrown off. You know, but the pigs, they roll in all that kind of stuff. So uh, my cousin, you know, he uh, takes his pigs to the fair and washes them down, and what do you get coming off the pig? It's called hogwash, and I wouldn't be drinking it, you know? Um, you get a clean pig, he's all happy, he's all ready to be shown. What does he do? <laughs> he dives straight back into the manure pile. Woohoo! You know? Anyway, you know, so we want to be careful about that, you know? Uh, yeah, we can go on and discuss that image a little more, especially about the dog going back to the vomit. But, but we, we need to walk forward. We need um, uh, freedom from the demonic entails a total life change. A life walked in surrender to Jesus. Okay, so... Uh, disciples' ongoing journey of learning to live in Christ. The basic issue with regard to being demonized comes down to, to living out of our own strength rather than God's strength. The temptation, this was the temptation of the devil to Eve. 
to become our own God. And when dealing with the demonic, we have to remain hidden in Christ because we have no strength in and of ourselves against the enemy. So we take these passages and we live them. All right? The place of faith uh, in deliverance ministry. This is a little bit of an interesting one. Um, there is, we've already made reference to this, the sons of Siva, who tried to cast out demons um, uh, on their own strength, and uh, it beat the crap out of them and chased them off down the road. Um, so it's a passage, uh, this passage is a study all its own as it shows what can happen to people who treat the name of Jesus as a magical incantation. And that's important. My mentor used to tell people uh, uh, regularly, he said, you know, the prayers are not magic. Praying the right prayers is not a magic formula. The formulas don't work. You know, um, the words are only good insofar as you pour your heart into them. The words become an expression of the faith that you have. You know, sometimes we wonder, how much faith do I have? I don't know, how much do you have? Anyone know how much faith you have? I became a very angry man about this whole issue of faith. Because I like to try to live, I thought I needed faith up here. This is the faith that would heal everybody I came across and fix everybody's problems and do all that kind of stuff. Problem is, is my faith kept coming in right about there. You know what the distance between this and this is, right? Anyone who comes to the forgiveness course knows this. This is the amount of anger that you live with. If you've got this much faith, use this much faith. God doesn't ask you to use any more than this. Romans 12. You don't live up here. Well, you say, shouldn't I have more faith? You know what? You leave that up to God. God will develop the faith in you. You spend your time in devotion, the word of God, as you engage it, will build your faith. Sure, it's not that we don't build faith, but you don't have to use more than you have. Sometimes you don't know how much you have. You just say, dear Jesus, I'm at your mercy. I give you all the faith I got. That's got to be enough. And he says, you know what? It is. And he won't lead you into situations where you need more faith than what you have. You just give him what you got. Well, so anyway. So the prayers are not magical. Don't use the name of Jesus as a mad, magic charm. You are speaking the name of Jesus out of the authority and relationship that you've been given. And when you speak that name, well, that's what Paul did. And this demon says, Paul, I know. And Jesus, I know. But who are you? And he smote them hip and thigh, so to speak. So, anyway, your identity comes out of your faith. You know, um, over on page 68, I'm skipping a little bit. Aside from naming the demon as the evil spirit in that passage, the key point here is that faith is required for this kind of ministry. Jesus' name is not some kind of magic incantation anyone can use. And it also illustrates the danger of this kind of ministry for anyone not standing in the finished work of Christ. And I mentioned this story here the other day. Um, you know, but we, we invite, one of our teams got invited in to pray through a dwelling that had evil spirits. Um, a shaman had tried to come in to cleanse his place and had become deeply ill, almost died, and uh, he wouldn't go back. Uh, the spirits did not leave. They just about killed the guy, and he wouldn't go back. He, uh, he told them they had to phone a priest because um, he, he somehow, even though he was not a practitioner uh, of uh, the power of Jesus, um, he knew that that was the power that was needed. It was really interesting. Well, um, sometimes stuff, people wonder, like, why, doesn't, why don't demons go sometimes? Well, sometimes because of no faith. So there's a story in Matthew 17 about a boy that was brought, and they couldn't cast it out, and Jesus finally cast it out. And uh, at the end, um, they asked Jesus, go, go down to verse 19. They came to him privately afterwards and said, why can't we drive, couldn't we drive it out? And he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Has anyone ever looked at a mountain and commanded it to move in Jesus' name? I've done it. Did it move? Technically, if I had the faith, it would have moved. I was told a story about a little Japanese lady not a lot of Christians in her area of Japan, no church near her, and she had to walk across a mountain every day to go to, to church. And the story is told that she looked at the mountain and commanded it to move so she could get to church. And along comes a, a, a company that uh, drills a hole through the mountain to set up a, 
train. And then just as they get the tunnel drilled, they canceled the train. Moved it somewhere else. They re-engineered re a different route. So they left a, a mostly completed tunnel. Well, a tunnel that was like it wasn't completed in the sense that the rail bed wasn't done. But the hole was drilled so she could walk. Didn't have to walk over the mountain anymore. And I'm going like, wow, who, know, who would know that, eh? But God can move mountains. And sometimes the mountains in your life are simply the mountains um, of your circumstances. Uh, and God brings mountains to your life to stretch you. You know, for me, when we started this money, this ministry, this money, this ministry, money was money was my mountain, man. Money was my. Speaking of Stuart, he's waving the bucket back there. You guys can take the offering. Go for it. We're going to take the offering right now. I'm going to just keep talking because I'm always running out of time, and we're coming toward the end of our time here. Um, money was my mountain, and uh, I struggled to trust God, and yet that was the deal I'd made with God at the beginning is if we're on track, Lord, you'll provide the opportunity, you'll pay the bills. And uh, it was amazing how God did that kind of stuff. But I spent a lot of time fairly desperate, pleading with God to provide our provision. And he always did. And he always has. And it's always been amazing to me. Uh, and when we have projects that need funds, he, per he pays for them. Uh, God brings us to the personal mountains. So for you, maybe your mountain isn't money. Maybe your mountain is something else. What you get to do is cast that mountain into the hands of God and say, Lord, this is what I need. The mountain is yours to deal with, and God will move it. But it goes by faith. And you know, faith, how does faith look? It doesn't, it doesn't look like being all cranked up. It just looks like throwing something on the mercy of God. Dear Jesus, I'm on your mercy. The act of trusting him is faith, whatever it looks like. Okay. Anyway, we're going to bump ahead here. Learn, learning new life skills. Let's go down to the bottom of page 69. Often there's a lot of retraining and, lear and, and relearning as we enter into this, uh, this kind of ministry. The old is gone, the new has come, but the how-tos of daily life in this new freedom paradigm got to be learned. So be deliberate in learning some of the following things. Boundaries. You know, the devil will always push your boundaries. Well, you know what? You could do this. Well, you could do this. And you could do this. And he will work his way up until he's got you by the neck. So the devil will push your boundaries. And you need to learn how to set your boundaries. Uh, here I stand. I'm under the blood of Jesus. And I'm done with this kind of behavior. So, you know, maybe you got friends. Maybe you got relatives. Maybe you got family members. Maybe you have a, a way of interacting with a spouse or with your children that need to change. Maybe you need to set some boundaries on them. Maybe you need to set some boundaries on yourself. For me, one of the things I used to do a lot was yell. I was always yelling, eh? And one day, you know, uh, the comment comes to me, man, you yell a lot. What? What are you talking about? I'm so used to yelling, I just yell. I mean, you know what I mean? No. So I said, Lord, I've got to set some boundaries on that. I confess and renounce that approach to people. Um, I put it under your blood. And uh, I'm not yelling anymore. I, I renounce yelling. Well, periodically, I had to reset my boundaries. You know? Maybe you're, uh, the way you interact with members of the opposite sex. Oftentimes, I have you know, girlfriends or boyfriends that come and say, you know, how far is too far? You should buy that, uh, buy that CD, uh, Living on the Edge. How far is too far? It was a young guy who, that set that message up for me. He came to me and he said, I have a girlfriend. She looks nice. She feels good. How far is too far? Hmm. As a youth pastor, I want to be very careful how I answer that because I will have mothers beating me with chair legs real quick. You know what I mean? Um, how far is too far? And the emphasis, well, anyway, you buy that message um, and listen to that. It's an amazing message because the emphasis had to shift. It's not about how close to the edge you can get. It's about how tight to the center you can be. And when God needs to take you out to the edge where true ministry happens, he will take you there rather than you going there yourself. You know, you learn how to set some boundaries. You know, people come in, how far is too far? Well, you know what? Here's the edge. Here's the center. Make your relationship about being in the center and God will take care of the edge. Certain things you're not going to do, 
back your fence up here and don't do them. You know, set, you got to set some boundaries. So, whatever. Learn how to set boundaries. Identify codependent or en enabling behaviors and find strategies to stop the cycles. Um, remember, don't submit again to yoke of slavery. You know, when the, en the enemy will always come back to you and he will bring back the old ways and he'll say, oh, you remember when you used to do this? Oh, man, feels so good, you know? One day I was busy studying for an exam. I was in seminary and instead of studying for exam, I went out in my, my um, garage and I started making a pipe out of deer antler. Because I'm, I like, used to like being, doing craft type stuff. And a deer antler, making a deer antler pipe just seemed to be a skookum thing to do. So I made this amazing pipe. And I went and bought, you know, if you make the pipe, you might as well smoke it, right? You know, just try it. But I don't smoke anymore. God delivered me from smoking. I don't smoke anymore. So, but you know, you just got to season it. So I went and bought some of my old favorite cherry tobacco and smoked it. The first bowl tasted awful because it's raw deer antler. It hasn't been cured yet, so I'm smoking deer antler juice. It was disgusting. So I better have a second bowl. Well, that was sort of disgusting too. But by the time the third bowl hit, uh, it was fairly well seasoned. And you know, okay, so well, I better have the third bowl just to make sure you don't know what it tastes like. A Couple of days later, maybe you should oh, try that again. A Couple of days later, then suddenly it's a day, everyday thing, then suddenly it's a couple of days. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Boyd, he says, you're messing with bondage. I set you free from that. You're messing with it again. Don't go back there. He didn't condemn me, but he did give me the warning. Lord, forgive me. I renounce it. You know, I still got that old pipe. It sits in my garage. My kids, kids think it's cool, but it hasn't been smoked since then. So don't go back to a yoke of slavery. Find a mentor. Pick a mentor and imitate them as you learn new ways of, of living. This is one of the things I did in the area of deliverance. When I came back from uh, Argentina, I knew that I needed to learn about this area of ministry. And this, is, this area of ministry is really lacking good mentorship. And if you can find good mentorship, find it. Um, men, you have to understand something about mentors oftentimes. And this is one of the things with my mentor. Um, he had to sense a call to mentor me as well. Because lots of people went and asked him for mentorship. And he, was, he couldn't do it all. You know? um, but you pray for a mentor and then you, you, you pick one. You ask them. Don't just wait for them to come looking for you. You go ask them. And uh, so that's what I did with my mentor. Will you mentor me? Sure. And then I had to take the initiative to show up and be mentored. And what I learned about mentorship in that whole process is that when you hang out with somebody that gets in on the action, you get in on the action too. When we were in a deliverance situation with somebody who was manifesting a demon, and my temptation was to just start attacking the demon, he would say, I bind this power now, stop that. Now, we have to talk about this, because what you're doing here is not healthy. And I'm going, you can stop these kinds of things and have discussions in the middle of them? Yeah? Who has the authority here anyway? You don't let the demon set the agenda. Most people do that. Oh, the demon's manifesting. So now we're working on the demon's agenda. Forget that nonsense. That, it was a mentor that taught me that kind of thing. So, you know, there's, uh, there's important to find mentorship. You know, and then as you, as you step into mentorship, like for me, the way things worked, as God began to bring me opportunities. And I just, he brought me little opportunities. God is so good because he doesn't bring us things that we can't handle. I'm a little baby. He's bringing me baby opportunities. I would work through those baby opportunities, pray with somebody. I would see something happen. I would go back. I would process this with my mentor. Why did this happen? This is what went on. I described the situation. What kind of insights can you give me? And he would give me all these insights, and I'd go back out, you know? And, and gradually, gradually, God will step you into these kinds of ministries, and he will bring people to you. Um, so, uh, you know, anyway. So there's a bit of a, the notes on mentorship, you know. It's up to you. Ask God for a mentor. One of the things when you find a mentor, I found this very crucial. I mean, I did menial labor. I served his ministry. Uh, I gave sometimes financially to that ministry. I gave my time, my effort. I did menial stuff like picking up cheeseburgers sometimes, <laughs> you know, when, when people were hungry. Um, 
but I got in on the action. So serve their ministry, and you'll get in on the action. Um, so what kind of person? Um, look at the fruit in their lives. Pick someone who evidences good and healthy living patterns. Don't just pick somebody who talks a good talk, because there's lots of hypocrites out there. Go and ask them to teach you. You know, some of these people won't even think they have anything to teach you. You know what? Don't leave it up to them to set the program or the curriculum. You just say, you know what? If you would just answer my questions, I'll bring all the questions. And then that frees them to just pour into you as you need them to. So many of them are busy, don't have time, uh, whatever. Learn as you serve them. Um, press in to get the teaching you need. Uh, but you need to mentor. My mentor who, does, who did deliverance, he actually doesn't do much of this anymore uh, in the Canadian context. He ministers down in Argentina, and he does mo most of the deliverance work that he does are in context of evangelistic services down there. But he doesn't do the kind of one-on-one -on -one prayer stuff anymore much because he says, I don't have the resources to mentor people. Mentorship is so important to somebody who's been bound by the enemy. Because when they get free, they need to learn a new lifestyle. And I've got to be honest, this is one of the, the, the things that faces us as a ministry too. Developing church partnerships with churches that will then step in and say, you know what, we will begin to mentor people. That kind of partnership is not common between churches or between parachurch ministries and churches. And that's one of the things I'm busy praying about right now. So, okay. How do you help somebody toward freedom, somebody who might have oppression in their life? Well, first thing is get some training. So I'm glad you're here. Um, so, you know, remember the enemy is intentional, strategic, and he knows how to tar who to target to achieve his purposes. So be wise. Seek training. Uh, next, you need to recap your basic foundation. So basically what I've laid uh, out in these next couple of pages is a recap of those basic foundations. Next is get familiar with the basic process. When I started doing deliverance with people, I had my little checklist and I had my basic, my basic uh, process. And I remember sitting down with people. <laughs> I had a, a pastor and a couple of people bring another person to me one time and they said, this, per this woman has demonic issues. Would you pray with her? Sure. I think, okay, I'm a little nervous. I'm not used to doing this with all these other strange people around, but okay. So I had my, I had my little list, because I'm fairly new at this. And uh, weird things happen. So we sat down with each other, and I said, okay. Step one. And I'm holding my book in my hands, eh? Step one. And we led through step one. Okay, step two. Dear Jesus, pray with me. And we went through step two. Step three. You know, we did the confessions and the renunciation. Step, step three. You know, uh, then we begin to do a little bit of uh, resisting. Anyway, at the end of it all, me, because I'm holding my, my, my book and going like this, <laughs> the pastor says, I didn't really like that process. Well, God bless you for being straight, straightforward about it at least. You know, well, what didn't you like about it? Well, it was so unspiritual. I mean, it was just mechanical. You know what? When you've got a demon manifesting in front of you that's trying to distract you and throw you off, I, I'm happy for the mechanical and spiritual stuff, right? I want to stay on track. I want to cover my bases, and I want to do this right. Because what the demon wants to do is it always wants to throw everything off track. It's like a kid that you're trying to, a rebellious kid you're trying to deal with in a classroom who wants to throw you off track so you never do deal with his issue of rebellion. He'll distract over here, distract over here, throw stuff over here, try to do this over here. Well, that's what the demon's doing. And you're going like, you stop that in Jesus' name. Stand aside. We'll deal with you at the appropriate time. Now let's keep focusing on our confessional work here. So, you know, looking unspiritual is okay because it doesn't matter. Looking spiritual doesn't make you spiritual. That can make you a hypocrite, okay? But staying on track with Jesus and just walking systematically through the process. Step two, make sure they know the Savior. Step three, do the confessional, and, and if, the, if they lock up during the confessional, I trained somebody, I trained a group of people for Women's Journey of Faith. One of the women came to me there during the one afternoon, and she says, I prayed with somebody, and, and they locked up. They couldn't do the confessional. I said, what did you do? I said, I rebuke you. Let her talk. Let's do it again. Pray with me. 
And they kept working at it until she was able to confess. She held to her training. She did the confessional. Because when the confessional happens, 1 John 1, 9, when you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's the unrighteousness that the enemy is holding on to in this person's life. So you stay focused. Okay, we got step three done. Step four, renounce that sin and its benefits. Step five, closing of the access points. The way I do that, I just say put it all under the blood of Jesus. Step six, six is to actively resist the devil. So now you're going to get weird. You just rest, and uh, we're going to yell at the devil now for a minute, okay? The Lord rebukes you, devil, you touch my brother's life, I command you to get out of his life. You spirit of addiction, you spirit of abuse, and you spirit of etc. Get out of my brother's life, the Lord rebukes you, don't come back. That's what you do. And people are looking at you going like, okay, all right. But you do that, you, have, you do that, you know. First time I did that in a, in a public gathering was, uh, was in this class of Bible school students. And the person that I was talking to had, had Wiccan background. Worship of the earth spirits. And we renounced all that stuff. And I said, okay, now I'm just going to talk. I'm just going to, how do you put this? I'm just going to speak of the devil now here for a minute. So you just relax. And I looked at her, and because this is the way I was taught, I said, keep your eyes open. I want you looking in my eyes. Because eyes are a little bit the window of the soul, and you, the stuff you can see in there is amazing. But it's a little uncomfortable for people who, okay, I'm going to look at you like this while you yell at the devil, right? It's a little uncomfortable for some people. So I just say, just relax, just look at me, just let me look into your eyes. You, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to the devil. Okay. So I said, I rebuke you, spirit of uh, um, earth spirit, in Jesus' name. I rebuke you. I rebuke you. Well, this is about the third time I just rebuked you. And she's sitting there like this. I rebuke you. And suddenly she goes like this. And her cheeks start to flush. And she goes like this. Suddenly all my hair standing up. I rebuke you. You know, and she slides down in the chair and she starts clawing with this hand and a tear trickles down here. And I'm going, well, okay then. Something is there. Anyway, in that particular instance, I hadn't had enough training yet. And when I got done the rebuking part, and I share this stuff with you because remember, this kind of ministry, it, it doesn't, experts got to come from somewhere. You know what I mean? An expert's really just a drip under pressure. You get what I'm saying? You gotta learn. So I'm in this situation. I get into this confession with this girl. I do the rebuking. She manifests openly. I rebuke this. I rebuke this. I command you in Jesus' name. Go where Jesus sends you. And, and the manifestation sort of stops. And then she goes, oh, something's not right. I didn't know what to do. Something's not right. Well, what do you mean? What's not right? What are you experiencing? You ask these questions. I got a tight band all the way across my chest and my heart. Something's not right. Is it a good tight band? <laughs> no, it's not a good tight band. Okay. I didn't know what to do. You know what I did? I said, okay. I bind whatever you are in Jesus' name. I command you to stop what you're doing until I get back here to deal with this properly. <laughs> and then I left. I was teaching at a Bible school. I left. Three months later, they asked me to come back to teach another course. In that three months, I'm processing with my mentor. I learned a little bit of stuff. He says, Boyd, he says, you're attacking a demon too fast. He says, there needs to be a more extensive confessional with this girl. Okay. So I brought my little confessional sheets, you know, back. You know these confessional sheets? They're like a springboard for diving into the grace of God. They're, they're just a little question. They just help people get going on their confessional. I walked into that Bible school. I saw the young lady. I said, Hi, remember me? Yeah. I'm the guy who rebuked you and then bound this thing and left you there for the last three months. Would you like to finish the process? Yeah, I think I would. Okay. Here, you know what? I'm going to tell you the story of this girl because it's an interesting one. I give her the, story, I give her the sheets. I said, you're on, a, you're on a veggie fast. Celery and carrots for the next two days. The fast is not to twist God's arm. It's just when you're hungry, you take time to pray instead of feeding your face. And you pray this way, dear Jesus, I'm at your mercy. Do what you want in me. You don't try to crank God up. You just say, dear Jesus, I'm at your mercy. Okay, so she, she's eating the carrots. 
praying the prayer. Nothing special about carrots, by the way. You know, could have been green beans. That, they'll work too. Uh, but you do need a little bit of energy going for when you get into the prayer time. So we got the, she got the, she came to me the night before we were going to do the prayer and she says, you know, I've already prayed through a bunch of this sexual stuff. Because there's a, a portion on the sheet about sexual sin. Uh, sexual sin, Jesus taught, is, is, is bad sin. It's be, it, and it's bad in, one, in not, not that it's more sinful than other sins, but, but it impacts your body, which is a temple of God. And so it has greater, oftentimes, consequences, right? Well, she said, I've already been with some prayer guy who prayed me through this sexual sin. I don't want to bring it up anymore. I want to be done with that. I don't want to bring that up anymore. And I'm going, you're a little ticked off for somebody who's free. You know, the other thing I'm thinking is, well, I mean, it's on my sheet. You know what I mean? What do I do, Lord? She doesn't want to fill out my sheet. And I felt like God said, go with the peace. Okay, well, you know what? Okay, Lord, if she's dealt with this properly, then she'll have peace. So I told her, I said, you go, you pray about it. If you got peace, you don't fill that stuff in, and we'll just do, deal with what you, you, what you put down. Okay. Next day, she comes for prayer, and she's ticked right off. She says, you know, couldn't sleep until 5 o'clock in the morning, so I just got up and wrote it all out. Fine, do it again. Okay, so we sat down. You, you know, me, I got my sheets. All right, we're ready. Got the sheets, man. Got to have the sheets. Pray with me. Dear Jesus, we went into prayer coach mode, which I wiped off the board already. Pray with me. Words are like a bucket. You pour your heart into my hand of the God. And we begin to confess. Well, anyway, as she went through all the confession, and then we got to the part where you resist. And the sexual sin comes under a spirit of perversion. Uh, because the sexual activity that you were created for has been perverted by that spirit. So it, we just call it a spirit of perversion. And I just said, the Lord rebukes you. Spirit of perversion, the Lord rebukes you. I pierce you with the sword of the Holy Spirit. And she began to manifest. And what she manifested was gut cramps. Down in her, in her feminine organs, she began to cramp up. Oh, oh, that hurts. Oh, that hurts. And me, I'm going like, I'm a pastor. I don't want to hurt people. Okay, stop this in Jesus' name. Oh, you know, we, we'll just like, we'll stop this now. I don't know what to do. Better phone the mentor. I'm going to phone my mentor right away. Grab the phone. There's happened to be a phone. <laughs> this is sort of not pre-cell phone for me anyway. Grab the phone. Click, 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 click. Ring, 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 ring. That's a blasted mentor. What good is he if he's not around? Click. <laughs> I said, you know what? We're just going to shut this down. This, I've already, remember, I've already shut this girl down once, eh? The last time was for three months. I said, we're just going to shut this down, and then we'll do it. We'll pick it up again when I, can, when I can figure out what's going on. And she looks at me, and she says, you need to get more aggressive here. <laughs> you're the one that's hurting, and you're telling me to get more aggressive? Yes. Give me the sheets, right? You know what? Why don't we ask God to tell us? You know, if you read 1 Corinthians, there's a little gift. It's called a gift of knowledge, a word of knowledge. You know, and sometimes, how do you do that? Well, you say, God, get, speak to me. Tell me what I need to do. And then you, you check this with, you know, the little sheet that I have in the back of this thing on te testing God's voice, all that stuff. Anyway, so, dear Jesus, what's the problem? Three words came to mind. Curse, feminine, parts. Okay, well, you know what? If I ask her that, I'm going to be weird looking, eh? So if you're going to do this kind of ministry, you're going to be weird looking. Get over it, right? How do you get over it? You do it, and yeah, you get weird looking. So anyway, um, so I said to her, I said, I pray, I said, I get this word, curse, feminine, parts. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Ooh, we're getting some confirmation here. I said, what makes sense about it? She said, my mother hated having a daughter. My mother hates men. She hates being a woman. She hates having a daughter. I grew up being told that I should be a boy. Grew up uh, her, her saying that she wished she were a man because men have power and women don't. Blah, 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 blah. Ultra-feminist home. Anyway. Her mother spent her whole life cursing her daughter's sexuality. Interestingly enough, this woman uh, had lesbian tendencies uh, well, and that's not true. She was indeterminate. She didn't know whether she liked boys or girls. I didn't know this at the time. 
I said, what do we do? Well, simple thing, simple. You go back to what you're made for, right? How are you made? You know Jesus, she knows Jesus. Are you ready to forgive your mom for what she did, all the cursing? Are you ready to simply accept God's blessing on you as the woman he made you to be? She thinks about that. She says, you know, I think so. Okay, you know what? I'm going to help you pray those prayers. You pray with me. You point your heart to God. You mean the words, okay? So we've already talked about how we're going to pray. Now we're going to pray it. Dear Jesus, and I led her through a prayer. Dear Jesus, I, and how did it go? It went something like this. It, she prayed, I give you all of the curses on my femininity that I have had over my life. I forgive my mom for cursing me and for hating who I was. And Jesus, I ask your forgiveness for rejecting my femininity. I am ready now to receive your blessing on me as a woman. And I just prayed, I said, on me as a little girl, on me as a teenager, and on me as a woman. I receive your blessing, and I bless myself as a woman. In Jesus' name, amen. I said, okay, now we're going to rebuke it again. Spirit of perversion, I rebuke you. I pierce you. And, and she started to crap. And then she goes, and she burps. And it left. All right. And you know, like the first time we did this, it, it, all, the more we rebuked, the more it was hanging on, man. It had its meat hooks right into her femininity. And it was hanging on. And, uh, but with the confession, Jesus washed that in her, blessed her femininity, and it lost its grip and it left. Okay. There's more to this story. I thought, you know, at that point in time, then I had a woman partner sitting with me and I said, could you do a mother's blessing? I said, I just want you to speak a blessing over this young lady. And so the lady, she stepped right into it. She just said, you know, if you were my daughter, I bless you. I love you. I, you're beautiful to me. And she spoke this blessing, and the young lady looks at her, and she just gets all teary and starts weeping, eh? And, and you know, I just thought, oh, what a nice, nice blessing. You know, why don't we just pray the Holy Spirit comes and just rests on her? Come, Lord Holy Spirit, we pray your blessing on her. And this look of amazement came over her face, and her arms started to lift up in the air, and she's looking at her hands, and suddenly she's up like this, oh, Oh, we all begin to weep as the Holy Spirit filled the room and she began to worship God in a way she'd never worshipped before. Wow. Well, okay, I thought it's all done, <laughs> right? Oh, no, there was one more thing that we, she had put down and I thought, ah, after that, it's all got to be done. One more thing she put down. Uh, and, and I said, okay, well, let's rebuke that too. It was a um, word-twisting spirit. Deceitful spirit, I think. Anyway, I forget what exactly it was. But I said, oh, and by the way, you last one, you word-twisting spirit in Jesus' name, this girl struggles with deceit and all that kind of stuff. The Lord rebukes you, and she starts going, yeah, yeah, sticking her tongue out at me. And I'm going like, okay, I've never seen that one before. What's happening with you? Yeah, yeah. Tongue tastes like shit, she says. That's what she said. Well, okay, then I rebuke that. Get out. We wash your tongue in the blood of Jesus. I'm it's gone. Okay. Come Holy Spirit, we're done. Pour out your power, fill her, whatever the Lord, whatever the enemy had a grip on her life, you wash her in your blood. Anyway, etc., etc. We did, We finished our session. And we went on and she stepped into, it was a Bible school, she stepped into some good mentorship and she began to grow in her faith and all that kind of stuff. I did some follow-up with her uh, some time after that. You know, and I said, so how's it been? You know, it's really good, but I'm, I'm pretty messed up. Oh, crap. I hate when that happens. You know, I just want the, the storybook ending. You know what I mean? Don't give me this messed up crap. I just want, like, you know, people walking out of here, you know, like going back to peaches and cream type lifestyles. Doesn't happen. I said, well, what are you messed up for? She says, well, that totally uprooted my whole life. My whole old identity. She says, you know what? Everything's changed. She says, I've got to learn how to live all over again, and I don't know how to do it. 
I will say one thing, though. She says, I know who I like. I like boys now. You understand that the cursing over her femininity messed up her sexual identity. And with that curse lifted and broken, her identity as a woman was allowed to blossom under God's blessing. And now she likes boys. Not every boy, but she likes boys. The other thing she said, and this is a little weird, she said, my menstrual blood changed from brown to red. Well, okay, I find that an interesting detail. She says, when I have my period, she says, my menstrual blood changed, used to be brown, now it's red. I'm going, Lord, what is that all about? He says, that's the cursing gone. That's just an evidence of the curse being lifted. She lived under a curse. And the sight of red blood, well, you know, according to Scripture, the, Im the imagery in Scripture, red blood is life. The blood is life. That's the whole thing behind the sacrificial emphasis. Anyway, so, you know, very interesting, right? So this was me, right? Step seven, pray for the Spirit of God to fill a person. We did. Step eight is the follow-up. Don't just abandon people. You, you can learn so much. I mean, me, you know, and don't worry about learning. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I don't know what to do anymore, so stop that until we can come back and finish this three months later. That was all I knew what to do. I knew I wasn't going to leave her in a, in a place unresolved. I figured I better put her in the hands of God. So I don't know. Is this possible? You can just shut it down and come back? Apparently it is. Because guess what? God loves his children. And he doesn't just abandon them to the power of the enemy. So anyway. Appendix A, we want to close here in about 10 minutes. Fasting. There is a role for fasting in deliverance ministry and spiritual warfare. Don't get legalistic about this, okay? Don't get legalistic about this. I had one guy, he was an old Lutheran guy, and uh, he, there was a demonic stuff going on around his work. You know what he fasted from? Lunch for a month, and he would have a shot of brandy every day when he came home from work because it was good for his blood. So he fasted from his shot of brandy and his lunch. And he spent every noon hour walking around his place of work, praying for whatever God put on his mind. And the activity ceased. The division in his team came together and the job was completed finally on task. Interesting fast, but anyway. Um, so there are different kinds of fasts. And this one, you know, you can read a little bit about this. Um, Fasting as a personal discipline will blow you away because basically what you're doing is you're saying when you're hungry, instead of feeding your face, like I say, you're just saying, Jesus, I'm at your mercy. And when you're intensively at the mercy of God like that, stuff starts to happen. So I encourage you, try it out. Uh, a prayer for standing. This is a prayer basically praying on the armor of God, praying on the hazmat suit, the Jesus suit, eh? Um, pray it. Pray it on a regular basis. Here's a property consecration prayer. You know, we bought a house, uh, and we, we, uh, it, uh, the previous owner was a cult member uh, of, a, of an interesting sort of a group. And uh, we were having some problems on that property. And one day uh, we needed to have the city guy come in and locate the water main for us. You know the shutoff valve for the water main from the street? Well, he comes in and he's got his metal detector and he's got all this other equipment and he comes in and, and he goes around the front of the property. He can't find this thing at all. Comes to me, he says, I don't know where it is. He says, finally, I just took measurements. And he says, I think it's buried under your, garage, under your driveway, I should say, under your driveway. He says, we'd have to dig up some pavement. Dig up some pavement? I don't want to pay for digging up some pavement. What do I do, Lord? Maybe I'll just pray. Maybe it's the enemy. You know, I'm just under this kind of training now, right? So I'm thinking with a new set of thinkers, and uh, maybe this is something, maybe this is a possibility. So I stepped off to my side, dear Jesus, I prayed quietly under my breath, this property, every previous consecration in this property, I wash under your blood, command it off of this property, I consecrate this property to you, in Jesus' name, amen. And I stepped forward, and the guy, just as I stepped forward, he says, you know what, I'll try the, I'll try the metal detector again. Fires up the old metal detector. There it is. Found it right away. 
That was weird. You know? He says, I just did that place with this. That's weird. Hmm. Well, he wasn't making anything too spiritual about it. He just got to work. But, you know, we have found in our walk, both Jacqueline and I, property consecration prayers are important. Uh, we've had a demonic attack that has, you know, you don't think about it as demonic attack. We had five VCRs go belly up in the space of a month and a half. Like, give me a break. Who has five B VCRs? Like, what am I? I got the VCR curse or what? Pray over the electronics. That does it. I'm ticked off. Like, this is how I learned some of this stuff. I get ticked off. That does it. I don't know if there's like a demon that's attacking my electronics, but the Lord rebukes you and I put them under the blood of Jesus. And that's the end of all my VCRs, but dying on me. And I'm thinking, there goes a crow. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> rebuke that, right? So, you know, like, these are some of the things you do. So, anyway, you know, here's a property consecration prayer. Take it home and do it on your property. You'll, you'll be blessed. Um, and you know what? This is good family learning time, too. Take your family with you. Do this, do this as a family. Um, you'll have good times. It helps build intimacy in the family when, okay, dad's being weird here, and we're all being weird here together. Okay. Yeah, you know, there goes another crow, you know, right? <laughs> so, anyway. Testing the voice of God. You know, uh, make sure you learn this. This is just the five simple points we talked about the other day. How do you know God's speaking to you? Better yet, how do you know the devil's speaking to you? Let's, I want you to write another little, little verse in here. On number two, does your sense of leading glorify Jesus and lead to trusting him? Uh, I want to take you to First um, John. I should have had this one in there. First John... Um, four, verses one to three. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So he says, test the spirit. So the spirit behind whatever it is that's speaking to you. A prophet is someone who says they declare the, the word of God. Specific word to a specific situation for a specific purpose. So you've got to test those words. Um, I mean, maybe, you know, like this is one of the things um, I've had and heard a number of stories, you know, people that think they're talking to ghosts or spirits of the departed. Ah, oh, they look like a ghost. They look like Uncle Charlie. You know what? You ask them, you take them to this and you ask them this. By this, you know the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses. And when, when it says confess, that means you declare that Jesus is your God. So spirit, do you confess Jesus as your God, Jesus the Messiah, you ask him that. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard that is already coming and is now already in the world. So put that under point two. Whatever you hear from God has to turn you to Jesus. The evil spirits will masquerade. They will do that angelic voice thing. They will try to deceive you and say, oh, I'm your Uncle Charlie. Come to help you out with some message from the afterlife, whatever. You say, Spirit, before I listen to you, do you confess Jesus as the risen Lord? And if he doesn't confess it, you don't be listening to him. Because a demon cannot confess that. Because for a demon, Jesus is not his Lord. There will come a day, the scripture says, where he will kneel and acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. But Jesus is not his lord. It's lord, whatever. Okay? So testing the voice of God. Is it in line with good biblical doctrine? That means you can't just pull one little passage out of the Bible and say, yep, it agrees. That means you actually have to start learning your Bible. You have to get serious about your walk with God. You know, I mean, I'm a pastor. I've actually talked to people in my church. So, how are you doing? How's your walk with God? Great. When was the last time, by the way, that you read your Bible? I ask these kinds of questions, eh? Um, uh, I don't know. You read it for me every Sunday. I've had guys say that for crying out loud. I mean, I'm like, give me the sword and do myself in. Like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to help people grow and they're letting me read their Bible for them. Give me a break, you know? Read your Bible. You need to know your Bible. And don't just read books about your Bible. Read your Bible. God will use it to speak to you and develop in you an understanding of him and his ways. Is there confirmation with your own spirit? 
Does God confirm your sense of leading through the fruit that he bears? Um, you know, what if following your leading, you know, somebody asked me the other day about God testing them. Who here has been tested by God? Yeah. You know what testing means? It literally means to take a cloth and wring the water out of it. Uh, you know, I do a little illustration in one of my seminars where we squeeze an orange or we squeeze a tomato. Why do we do that? Because when you squeeze something, you find out what's inside of it. When we, when we get squeezed, you know, we can be hypocrites all we want. We can say, oh yeah, I walk strong with God. I'm a godly man. Yeah, you know what? You're going to know that when everything falls apart. And sometimes God says, you know what? We got to bust through that hypocritical veneer that you're carrying because I got more for you, you know? Can't work with a phony person very well. So the way we're going to do that, we're going to put you into a hard place. And in that hard place, your, your shell is going to crack. And what's really inside of you is going to come out. And what I want you to do when that stuff comes out is give it to me. God doesn't condemn you for what comes out of you. He says, I knew that was in you. Give it to me. No, but Lord, you know, oftentimes we've been taught that God's ashamed of what comes out of us. God's not ashamed. God is testing us. He's trying us in order that what is in us might come out. It says Jesus was perfected through the testing and the trials that he went through. What do you mean? Jesus was already perfect. You know how you tell a cloth is dry? You wring the crap out of it, and when nothing comes out of it, you go, it's dry. That's what happened with Jesus. Was he perfect? Yeah, he was perfect. But when the world and the devil and the flesh squeezed him, the only thing that came out was righteousness. I don't know about you, but when I get squeezed, a lot of times other stuff comes out. Jesus says, give that to me. I'm going to forgive that. Okay? So there is a place for testing. And if, there, if that's happening in your life, you know, I always say, you know, if you rebuke something, it doesn't go away. And if you repent of it and it doesn't go away, then God's got a different purpose. And it's a purpose that he's building something in you through trial. And all of us will receive trial. Jesus told his disciples, temptations must come. Those trials must come. And if they treated the master this way, how much more will they treat the servant this way? Keep your eyes on me. That's what Jesus wants. The only way to learn how to keep your eyes on Jesus is to have to do it. So, okay. Good enough. And the back page is the picture of me looking all happy. There you go. So, I want to thank you for this weekend. We're 459. Uh, I want to thank you this for coming out this weekend. Uh, I pray that God has given each of you something that you can walk away with. By no means will you have absorbed everything in this. Uh, I encourage people to come back to these events for repeat teaching. Um, I got people that have come to the, uh, the forgiveness event, for instance. Uh, you know, I mentioned here the other day, Susan said she took her about five times to get ready to, 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 uh, to um, forgive. We have other people that have been to that forgiveness event, you know, a dozen times. It's like peeling an onion. When you come and you take this, you'll get a few points to work with, and then you'll go work with them, and then you'll come back and you'll get another few points, and you'll go work with that, and gradually, gradually, your walk with God will deepen, and these tools will become familiar to you. You know, I, I say, you know, about having your, having your sheet. I started out doing prayer with people like this. Okay, now this, do this step here, and now let's do this step here. And I didn't look too spiritual, but I stayed on track. Gradually, gradually, as I did that kind of prayer ministry, you know, I internalized that, and I now just function. And yet, when I'm deliberately going through people, uh, through a deliverance process with people, I will still make use of my sheets. So, you know, don't feel like you're looking unspiritual. Uh, God didn't make this stuff for, for brainiacs. He made it for the simple people of which I is one, you know? So I'm glad I've got some company here. Uh, anyway, let's close with a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we come before you in the power of the name of Jesus. And today, Lord, uh, this weekend, we just simply give you what we have to give. Father, Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says that we give, offer our body a living sacrifice and that this is our act of worship to you. And what that just means, Lord, is that we don't have to offer you something we don't have. We just give you what we got. We thank you, Lord, that that is your dream come true. Father, teach us. 
Open the heart of Christ to us. Open the heart of God to us. That we may see and know that which destroys, that which is sinful. That we may see and know, Lord, that which is healthy and life-giving. And that we, we may see and know that the enemy has lost his power. And that as we repent and put ourselves in your hands, you lift us up. Father, let us know that every touch of your life on our lives is geared to that redemption and that saving. Father, we love you. For each person that leaves here today, I speak your blessing over them. I wash them in the blood of Jesus. I bind the power of Satan. Satan, the Lord rebukes you. And the only reason we even speak to you is because Jesus did, did and we imitate him. But the Lord rebukes you and I command you um, to where Jesus sends you. The way that you have tried to hinder some of these here, the Lord rebukes you. Be gone. Come Holy Spirit of God, take your place. Teach us, draw us, call us. You are the spirit of truth and where you are there is freedom. You lead us into that truth and that freedom. And so we thank you. We bless you. We worship you. And we acknowledge that you are God. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. Thanks for the weekend.